Today's reading comes from Luke 1, 39 through 55. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he has made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you hear me on Zoom? Somebody, anybody, Bueller. Huh? Nobody's, I'm gonna hope you can if you, yeah, okay, thanks Anna, appreciate it. Uh, Let me pray. God, we are thankful today. even if it's by a little bit of willpower. We remember the things that we have that are gifts, even if it's just the breath in our lungs. So we've been thinking about preparing a way, getting ready, We've been considering what things we might need to be turning away from this year, um, turning towards. We ask that you would move us, um, but also help us to be patient with ourselves. We love you. Amen. All right. One moment here. friends here. Hi, friends there. It's good to see if this actually works here today. Okay, we're going to do that. Yes. Fraught with danger. Uh, does anybody happen to know uh, what Mary's name means? Anybody? Should I say it a second time? Bueller? Uh, Her name means bitter or rebellion, which I find to be absolutely fitting. So sorry, Aaron. I'll try to fix it. Uh, I dropped papers here for you folks on Zoom who can't see the 
the fun I'm having. Um, it means bitter or rebellion, and it's just so fitting that, I, listen, as we're, as we're listening to, the, the, uh, what Isaiah read for us was mostly the Magnificat, right? It was the lead up to the Magnificat, which is Mary's song in response to when somebody sees what it is she's got going on uh, actually in her body, but what's happening to her and in her life. And every time, every time I read it, I, um, you feel like Google Magnificat and listen to like music where like, people put it, it's very, oh, you know, it's, what do you call that? Operatic, choral, it's very sweet, um, usually very calm. But Mary's song is the opposite of that. She's talking actually about her name. She's talking about a revolution or a rebelling, a resistance against the way that things are. It's, um, forgive me if, if this reference doesn't land for everyone, um, but it's like she's, uh, we should be hearing or singing the Magnificat to like rage against the machine or protest music from, uh, from the 60s or with some deep confrontation for how things are and how all of our lives, all of us, have things that need to be um, changed. And here we have it... Um, not, well, here we have it in the voice of a lowly teenager, which I think bears remembering every year we shouldn't discount those who, for whatever reason, um, might be younger than us, might have less experience than us, um, m- 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 might be in our how we value and decide who to listen to, um, might be lower. They might know less. Um, the way God does things and the way we do things are different. I mean, just remember this. She's a nobody living nowhere. So I love this song. I love, I love it. Um, it's one of my favorite things to... Um, it's one of my favorite parts of scripture. I love to, to pray it and think on it. Um, so what I want to do today, though, is I actually want to, inv- I'll invite you to grab um, a Bible. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 1 and Genesis 6, probably. You can turn there if you don't. We're going to actually look at what's called the Annunciation, and the Annunciation is the announcement um, uh, that the angel Gabriel makes when, when Gabriel says, you're going you're gonna to be pregnant. And it starts in Luke 1, um, 26. So that's where we're going to be. We will pop over to Genesis 6. So if you want to um, follow along there. And so here's how this is going to work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to move our way from verse 28 to 37 with some, it'll be a brisk pace. Um, you'll have to do some keeping up. And then I'm gonna, I, have a couple, I have a couple conclusions I want to offer to us about Mary with the big idea being here for us that um, Mary is a person we should imitate. What she does, how she is, is um, something we, sh- I think we would, we would be poorer, we would be impoverished, we would be missing out if we didn't consider 
what she, what she does to be a, an example for us to follow. And just notice that. A, 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 a nobody from nowhere, a teenager who's pregnant maybe before she should be, who's telling a wild tale, and we want to listen to her. We want to hear what she has to say to us. So, uh, I'll invite you, yeah, go there. Uh, you can, we're going to start at verse 20, not 28. We'll start at 28. Uh, <clears throat> and he came to her and said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. 29, but she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Okay, uh, first of all, this is a bit wild because when angels show up in scripture, what's typically the first thing they have to say to somebody? Uh, close, there's a don't. Don't be scared, don't be afraid. Right, and fear connects to where, you know, so yeah. But right, like, don't be afraid. But the angel does not have to tell Mary to not be afraid. And if we look super close at what's, what, what we're told here, it says she's perplexed by his words. She's not scared at his appearance. She's not perplexed at, her, at, at the angel's appearance. She is perplexed by what the angel is telling her. If you're perplexed by something you feel invited to do, it doesn't mean you're in the wrong spot. So the first thing I think we could notice here is Mary has her fear under control. Do we? Do we have our fear? What are some things, you know, uh, you don't got to name them. I know f saying what you're afraid of would be really fun to do in church. But it's really worth considering, like, what's a thing that is scary to you? What is, a, what is something that is existing in your life right now that is um, unknown? Because that's where a lot of fear comes from, right, when we're not sure what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Or for me, this is crucial. I don't know about you. If, if I can't control it, if I can't control it, then I'm not far away from fear. Even if I don't look scared, I want to control it so that I don't got to wonder about it so that it's, you know. But here we have Mary who's not afraid. She's perplexed. She's her fear under control. And her, uh, the, the word there, perplexed, could also mean troubled, right? It's not just she doesn't quite understand what's going on. It's also disturbing her. Now, Mary's disturbed, I think, um, for one reason only. Because remember, what has the angel told her? You're favored and God is with you. The angel has said nothing about her teenage pregnancy. Oh yeah, dad, by the way, it was the Holy Spirit that did this to me. Like that joke never gets old for me, right? It's like, right, great, cool. Uh, how do you even like, that's baloney, go to your room. Um, 
what, what is troubling Mary is the angel telling her she's favored by God and that God is with her. Does this seem like a thing that would trouble you today? If God says you're favored, I favor you and, and, and I'm with you. Is that, you know, I, is that troubling? I see a head shake. I think most of us, without much thought, would go, that's a comforting message. I mean, think about it. It's like Christmas, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And what do we all want to feel this time of year? Cozy and warm. But Mary's troubled by it. And here's why I would suggest Mary's troubled by it. Mary's troubled by it because she knows what happens when God favors people. So I'll invite you, if you want to, to turn to uh, Genesis 6, to one of the all-time great stories in Scripture, uh, Noah and the Flood. Now, there's two things we're going to look at here. The first is, uh, it, so there's this, this I'm going to quote rule, okay? Um, and it's so old you almost can't find anybody who, everyone kind of just accepts it. Okay, or anybody who, whatever. So um, the rule is the first time a word or idea appears in scripture, it tells you something very important or essential about it. So like one example of this is the first time, anyone want to guess the first time the word love shows up in scripture? Cain and Abel? Nope. Good guess. And you're not far from the tone of when it shows up. Genesis, when Abraham takes his only son, whom he loves, to Mount Moriah to offer his son up. That's, it's not between a man and a woman. It's not romantic. It's, not, it's, it's between a parent and a child, a father and a son. That's the first time it shows up. So like, that immediately just should spin or, or confront our American version of what we initially think of love, right? We, 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 we love pizza and we think of romance. I mean, these are the two, right? Like that's, or maybe you don't love pizza, but you love uh, Thai food or um, breadsmith or, you know, whatever. But we, we think about it that way. But in scripture, love is talking about this Deeply difficult moment, all right? So the first time, by the way, the word favor shows up there as well, but the first time favor shows up is in Genesis 6, 6. So I'm gonna read, or uh, what is it, 6, 7? I'm gonna read here from, uh, what is it, 7 and 8. So the Lord said, uh, let's start at 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I've created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of God. Now what does God ask Noah to do? Build a boat. Build a boat. Or an archy archy. And where does he ask him to build the boat? Like at a port? No, middle of nowhere. The first time someone in scripture is, it, it, we hear that they are favored is right before God says, hey, I got a big ask. 
I am certain to like my bones that Mary understands this. Uh, her, her song, the Magnificat, what, uh, what Isaiah read for us this morning, it's got like 30 references to the Psalms in it. She's absolutely steer, uh, stealing from Hannah, Samuel's mother. Their, their, their stuff sounds the same. Like The Magnificat is like a remix of all of these moments that happen in Scripture. And this is what comes out of Mary. Mary knows the story, and I would suggest to us that Mary knows she's troubled because she knows when God asks for a favor, buckle up. Now, really, really quick, because I think this is helpful. Uh, if we keep reading in Genesis, because you know, you bring up the flood story, and instantly you got some questions about the graciousness of this God, right? It's one of those stories we like teach our kids, but I don't know. It's like ring around the rosy pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes. What a dark song. We sing it. Rockabye baby in the treetop. I mean, right? The flood story. This feels dark, and I want to just briefly, briefly unpack it, okay? So if you look at verse 11, and I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go to the Hebrew here, um, but it's the translation we have, the translations we have are fine, but there's, a, there's a, a wider way that I think is helpful to read this. So verse 11, it says, um, and became corrupt the earth before the face of God. So what it's basically saying here is the world, there was corruption or ruin that happened, was happening into the world, and it, was, it wasn't hidden from God's sight. Um, and then the earth is filled with violence. That's verse 11. Verse 12 says, and God saw that the earth and looked, and in, or indeed, it was corrupt. For corruption uh, or ruin, all flesh had brought on the way of the earth. So, so the idea here is that humans ruined the stuff. We corrupted it. And God saw that we corrupted the earth. Our activity, our actions corrupted the earth. So then God says to Noah, I'm going to end all the flesh, okay? Noah's gonna live. All the flesh that did the corrupting to the earth, that did the violence that corrupted the earth. And then what we have probably says something like, so God says he's going to destroy them, but it doesn't say destroy. It's the same word. It's corrupt or ruin. So what we have happening here is this kind of, well, I'm going to just, humans do violence, corrupt the earth. God is not doing violence. God is rather letting the corruption of, of humanity work itself out. I'm going to stop stopping you from missing out on your consequences. What's happening in Noah isn't God sitting upstairs going, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone, because you're bad. It's God watching and saying, all right, we're gonna let this thing run its course. The story of the ark is not the story of God's anger. It's the story of humanity's corruption and violence and what that does. And how sometimes a loving father, a loving parent, a loving mother allows you to experience your consequences. Can you imagine what your hand would look like if, if you couldn't feel burning, if you touched a hot stove? 
I mean, nobody wants to feel that, but it's also helpful to learn to not do it. That's what's happening there. All right, so that was a tangent. Okay, but Mary understands what's happening here is, uh, is deeply connected to this idea that when God asks you a favor, buckle up because it's probably not let's get brunch. <clears throat> All right, 29, now we go to verse 30. Um, and the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And so here, it's this interesting thing where Gabriel might not be reading Mary's, Mary right, or Gabriel could be encouraging here, knowing that even if you're not afraid now, you might be. You might be later. Gabriel says, don't be afraid about what God's gonna ask you to do, what God's asking you to do. And then he continues and says, you will now conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So you were being literal, Gabriel, when you said God was gonna be with me. Literally with me. And then we get down into, uh, into, into, into uh, where is it, 34. So the angel says this to her, and again, Mary, who is a cool customer, she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And to that, we would all say, good question. That is a good question. Look, Mary's not arguing with the angel. She is open and she is curious. Somehow you get this sense. Maybe Gabriel doesn't show up. That's fine. Maybe you get an email. Remember, angel just means messenger. You just catch a message. You catch a message from God that God wants you to do something. Love your neighbor. Maybe shovel their sidewalks. Maybe help them. You know, like it can be little things and it can be big things. In fact, I would suggest we start with the little things. We go there, right? We all want to like make this massive impact, but little. So she's told this thing and she is open and she is curious and she asks questions. She asks questions. How is this going to work out? Uh, one of the things I... One of the things I talk about in therapy a lot is how important it is for me to, to be curious. So I have this like little thing that happens in me when, I'm, when I notice I'm no longer open or curious, like tilting my head trying to like, when I notice that goes away, I, am, I have attained a level of mental health where that's a reminder to me that I might need to check myself. If I'm not curious, I might be going to some dark places. I might be assuming the worst thing is gonna happen. I might be assuming that the last time this happened, this was the conclusion, which is never actually the case. It's helpful to be like, oh, is this? But sometimes, at least for me, I have the ability to make things happen because I assume they're going to happen, you know, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. What we see Mary doing here is being curious. She's making uh, no assumptions. There's an, almost a childlike innocence to her saying, well, one plus one equals two. So how's this going to work? Uh, one of, uh, 
I bumped across this thing where uh, the, the question was, what is, you know, what is so powerful about curiosity? Because I think it's a super powerful um, mindset, way to, way to live, to be curious. Also, Curious George. Um, and here, here, this is what, uh, well, this is Walter Thiessen. He's a, a theologian, psychologist. He says, paired with compassion, uh, curiosity is what helps us to be interested in people. It helps us to be interested in ourselves. It helps us to be attentive to what's happening. It's really hard to be attentive without curiosity. So we have here Mary, she's got her fear under control. She knows the story. She, uh, she has questions about how this thing is gonna work out. She's not arguing and she's discovering that literally this means um, that God is going to be with her. And then in verse 36, uh, Gabriel says something that would seem a little off topic, but maybe if you think about it, it's not so much. And now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for, uh, for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Why in the world is Gabriel telling Mary about Elizabeth? What's the point? It showed that like, God is already working miracles. Okay, so uh, one reason to show that God is already, there, there's things already happening here. What else? Uh, what, yeah. Comfort. Why? Yes, but why? Why comfort? Because then she has somebody to connect with. Okay. Hey, Mary, you're going to need somebody that understands. Who better to understand your unexpected, unlikely pregnancy than someone who is themselves also going through an unexpected, unlikely thing? Gabriel is saying, you don't have to figure this out alone. And you're probably not going to get the support you need from someone who hasn't experienced this. Gabriel's just helping Mary make a friend. Directing Mary who to talk to. Who can understand this. And we'll see, and we already did, that Mary's wise enough to go there, to seek the friendship, to listen, to be seen, to be known. And then we get down to verse uh, 37, and he's, uh, 38, then Mary says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. I want to park here on this idea of let it be for just a minute. And yeah, every time I read that, I do think about the Beatles song, which Paul McCartney has said over and over is about his mother coming to him in a dream saying, let it be. But I'm also like, Paul, like if Paul and I were sitting down having a beer in a pub in England, I'd be like, but also what, like, what about this? Like this is, this had to have worked its way into your imagination, Paul, because it's, it's Mary, the mother of Christ who gets this ask and says, let it be. And this idea of, of let it be, it's a, it's a really interesting um, and simple thing for us to consider. It's the same idea, actually, in the prayer that Jesus teaches. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be your way, God, not my way. It's the same prayer that Jesus prays in the garden. I'd like this cup to be taken from me. If there's another way to pull this off, I mean, you gotta imagine at some level, Mary's gotta be thinking the same thing. You gotta be able to work this whole redemption thing out, God, without putting me in a vulnerable spot. But her answer to the invitation is simply, not my will, but yours. Let it be. Let it be to me according to what God says. And there's this humility, there's this sweetness, there's this simple yes she asks. She's not asking, she doesn't ask the angel, well, how do I explain, I mean, come on, how do I explain this to my parents? I mean, is there, is there a question that you would have that would go, before? if you're Mary, right? I mean, what, is there another question? That'd be my first one. Let it be, your kingdom come, not my will, but yours. I actually wonder, you ever think about this, like who, um, who, who do you imagine taught Jesus scripture, the story of scripture? Who do you think taught him? I'm, his mom, Mary. You, you know, like if Mary's telling Jesus this story, yeah, and then I was like, all right, let it be. And how, like, how does that infect, impact how Jesus prays? It's a little bit of a conundrum because you're like, well, Jesus is God and God all, but like God needed, God's diapers changed. God needed to learn how to speak like words. So why wouldn't Mary also be able to teach her son Jesus how to pray and so I just see this connection between not my will but yours be done in the Lord's prayer but you could see it like beginning and it doesn't actually begin with Mary because Mary's just saying what all of the people before Mary had said Mary's saying the same thing Moses said before the burning bush now Moses doesn't say let it be to me but Moses goes okay and I think this is the most important thing for us to gain by thinking about this. And maybe the most important thing for us to shift about us is to figure out how to say yes to the things God is inviting us to. And I'm not talking about big, massive things, like solving a geopolitical problem. I'm talking about the things that happen, the little things that happen to us every day. The ways in which we, we don't love our neighbors. We don't love ourselves. We don't love God. Maybe they're even invisible things that nobody could ever catch you for. But these are the things where we want to figure out what is God asking us to do and then just begin being faithful in those things. Faithful and little, faithful and big. So we have Mary here who, who has her fear under control. She's troubled about the right thing. She knows the story. By the way, the story is not God is violent and gets you if you're bad. Um, Mary is open and curious and asks questions. And her response in the end is let it be.
you ever wonder how long this exchange took place? I mean, is this like as long as it takes for us to read it? Is it 40 seconds? Was it an hour? How long would it take you to process something like this? How much time do we give ourselves to process things? Okay, so here's, some, here's uh, three-ish conclusions, four conclusions. First, um, when God, <laughs> this one's my favorite, maybe. Uh, God's favor is when God asks you a favor. I mean, think about this. God's actually asking Mary to help God out. God is saying, I need you, human being. Dave, God needs you. Jenna, God needs you. Aaron, God needs you. Malachi, God needs you. God needs humans. Now, not because God's got a human-shaped hole in his heart. Although maybe, I, don't, I guess I don't know for sure. But isn't that the whole story of Scripture? Human being participating in the thing God's doing. And could God do it faster and more efficient without us? I mean, maybe. But it's not how the whole thing is set up. God's favor is, is literally asking for help. Asking for a favor. The second, and we gotta go back to Genesis 6 for this one, but boy, oh boy, when I saw this, and I just saw this this morning, so this is like bonus. Uh, I'm gonna be thinking about this for a while. Okay, it's 56, all right, cool. So, um, what is it, 6, 6, 14. Uh, I better grab the... So God, and this is what it says, uh, make yourself an ark. Now, one way to read make yourself an ark is build a boat for you to get in. And what is God asking Mary to do other than make herself an ark? To become a thing that can make room to save the life of the world. And an ark is actually a box, not a boat. It's just a box. Make yourself an ark. Make room in yourself. This is, uh, this is from Father John Bear. He says, God does not enter this world except by our offering him space. Not a geographical space somewhere else in the world, but our own place, ourselves and our own time today. The sacrifice of our own sense of self, our attempts to construct our own idea, identity, to set limits and boundaries on how much we are prepared to accept and to say, let it be. Make yourself an ark. Make room in yourself for the thing God's doing and wants to do. <clears throat> and we'll end here with where I started. Um, this is from uh, Ronald Rollheiser. He says, the incarnation and in looking at how Mary gave birth to Christ 
we are given a blueprint that invites imitation, not admiration. Mary is the model of faith. I mean, think about this for just a second. Is there a better example in scripture? Now you're gonna say, who? Jesus. Sure, great, wonderful. Here's my problem with Jesus. I ain't ever gonna play at that level. I played high school basketball. I'm not gonna play college basketball. And I'm certainly, like, I can't compete. I can't exist there. There's things about me that aren't true enough to where when I see what Jesus is doing, a fair question I have is, but can you actually expect me to do that? This loving my enemy thing is hard. But when it's Mary or Moses or Peter or John or Samson, Samson's interesting because... Not really someone you want to emulate, right? But when it's all of these other people that deal with all of the same things we deal with, we see what is possible for us. Mary didn't have advanced theological training. She's a teenager. She knew how to make bread. Mary is the model, I'll continue with Rollheiser here. Mary is the model of faith. What she did, each of us two is called upon to do, namely, give birth to God in our lives. Christmas is for marveling at what once took place, but is also for our imitation, for continuing to give God space in the world. So as we're four or five days away from, um, I mean, let's be real. We're saying Merry Christmas. We're thinking about it, right? But we, we do a little waiting on purpose. Um, we, have, we have some time left to get, get our heart ready, to make more room, to, uh, to make ourselves an ark, to find what part of our lives we can offer to God this year to find our let it be, to move from fear into wonder, to be troubled at the things that are happening around us and what it might mean for us to participate. What actually might it cost me? I mean, I hear that in Mary too here, like she's counting her cost. What might it cost me to say yes, to say let it be? And then to do the best we can 